How's it going, everyone? My name is Eric. I have Tyler McBroom with Measured Results on here right now. He is a CPA and he helps entrepreneurs with tax and lots of other financial things and just kind of all that type of stuff. Um, he has a framework or like a solution or a seven-step solution that we're going to get into in a little bit about basically the best, like the best way you can do your taxes in a way if you're an entrepreneur right now. And then we're going to get into a little bit about you know client service businesses, what it takes, uh, and the mindset, and you know that type of stuff behind it. And then just general tips for CPAs in general and what Tyler can give to to help those guys out as well, um, guys and gals. But uh, Tyler, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, tell a little bit about you, about your business, just so everybody can get some context. Yeah. So, uh, well, thanks for having me first off and uh, excited to share some, hopefully some value with your audience. So I am the managing partner of a CPA firm, Measured Results in Northern California and uh, partners with my father who started the business uh, many years ago. Uh, and really our, our big focus is on helping you pay as little tax as legally possible and stay out of trouble with a big emphasis on staying out of trouble. And then of course, all the uh, financial stuff that goes along with that as far as getting your books on autopilot and the system for that and payroll and tax planning and all of that fun stuff. But really uh, a big focus on increasing your cash through tax savings. Cool. Awesome. So, um, yeah, so I guess the first question would be, um, so actually you kind of already answered what I was going to ask, which is like, I was wondering how you got into the business, but your, uh, your father started it and then you got into it. So, um, I guess around the like origin and everything like that, um, other than your father, I guess, starting the business, was there any additional like interest or that made you really want to get into it and help people with this type of stuff? Sure. Well, um, I can tell you that even though I, my, you know, my dad, of course, was in the business ever since I was a, a little kid, I went as far away as possible from that to start. My undergrad degree is actually in creative writing. Oh, wow. uh, and then I kind of graduated. And then it was right when the recession started. And when yeah, I was going through undergrad, they they told you that it didn't matter what you majored in, just as long as you have a degree. Well, that that is true in a great economy. It's not so true in a massive recession economy. And so I kind of got out, had no no prospects, went back to grad school and got my MBA and then tried a couple other things, marketing, stuff like that, and and then realized that work was work and that maybe my dad was right and it was a, a good business. And uh enjoy the service side of things and and um and so decided to go into the business didn't immediately start working for my dad went and worked for a couple other firms just to get kind of a different perspective and then about four years ago came into and decided to partner up with my dad and and uh grow that together Awesome. So one yeah. of the things that really intrigued me about you was the personal brand that you're building on Instagram right now. Um, um, and I wanted to ask you about that as well. Like, okay. So right now, um, you are doing consistent posts about, you know, taxes and CPA related things according, you know, for your business. Right. And, uh, but it's in an engaging, more modern way where people actually like want to pay attention to it and it makes it like not boring. So could you well, go in? Yeah. Could you go into m about your strategy behind Instagram or the brand that you're building for yourself around that? I guess what, uh, what interested you in doing that? Like why you thought it was a good idea? And then, um, yeah, pretty much just all about that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, I'm uh, kind of a trend follower and, and 
as I got into business school and kind of learning about all this social media stuff and uh, discovered, I'm sure you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, uh, met him back in 2011 and have been kind of just following that trend over the last seven, eight years and just kind of always had an interest in social media and said, whenever I got, whenever I got to where I'm kind of running the show, that that was where I was going to put my, my energy. Uh, and then, so when I moved into uh, kind of running measured results. That was where I wanted to put a big effort. Started about three or four years ago, just doing videos with my phone and kind of, hey, it's me and no fancy audio or anything like that. And that really helped me hone my skills on camera before I put a big investment in bringing in a brand director in-house that actually put professional content together a little over a year ago. Uh, and, and then it's really taken off since then. And really the focus is just providing value. It's education. Like, like a lot of the people who've grown big brands say it's true, you know, help people first. Don't, don't lead with the sale. Uh, and so really been trying to put a focus on helping people learn how to save money and learn what a kind of a boring, what a lot of people tell me is, you know, this is a boring topic. You, like you said, made, made it interesting. Uh, I think it's just speaking in plain English to people. A lot of our industry, people talk in convoluted numbers to make themselves sound important. And so just trying to speak English and then help people when I can. Uh, and then there's just no one else out there doing it. So I thought I could make a big, big stamp and, and you know, time will tell, but I'm working my way on growing, growing it up. So we'll see how it goes over the next couple of years. Yeah. And then would you say that building that Instagram strategy, um, I know it's a, it's a long-term plan to actually build a brand and everything, but yeah. have you gotten uh, clients from either the local area or maybe across the country or anything like that from it yet that you know? Yes and yes. So okay. we actually, as a result, it's, I'd say the first six months, it was just a lot of, from when we, from when we put like a real investment in making it professional, um, the first six months was just kind of putting content out there, not a lot of reaction. And then we have figured out a good growth strategy and, and, uh, and since then have just been getting calls left and right. Uh, and we're at, we have clients in about 17 or 18 States now. So we've you know, made a national presence. And wow. so, which has really been great for us and, uh, and our growth strategy is that we're not limited to our geographic area as a result. So mm -hmm. it's definitely been, now, if you know, over a year or two into it, been worth starting to pay off that that investment. Mm -hmm. And then I was just, uh, yeah, I was just wondering. So, how I found your Instagram, I believe, was from someone reposting one of your uh, posts. Okay, but I wasn't sure if they just posted it just because, or if it was more of an influencer marketing thing where it was like a sponsored post that was paid for. Do you do any influencer marketing? I do some influencer okay. marketing and that's been a, a good growth strategy for us for sure. Um, that, and then I'm starting now that I've kind of hit a little bit of, you know, I'm at like 25,000 followers, which isn't massive by any means, but it's decent for a CPA um, starting to get people actually reposting just cause they find value in the content. Um, but definitely have done, done some influencer marketing with some of those larger business accounts. Okay. So what would you, for us, Got it. And then what would you say to any CPAs in particular, but then also just service businesses that have like elements that don't necessarily have to be limited to like the geographic area? 
Do you find a lot of people in service businesses or CPAs in particular just try to stick to their local area and they're for some reason not doing online or not doing social media or all type of stuff? Yeah, I think there's this stigma that people, and I really, I think it's just an excuse. Um, but for a lot of people in service, in like my industry saying that they still think people want face to face. And so that's their reason for not trying to go national. Uh, but in reality, even the guy down the street that's my client, maybe five minutes away, never comes into the office anymore. People just, they're busy. They don't want to take the time to go down to the office. So um, so as a result, and especially with technology, things like our you know video chats like we're doing right now, you can create the vibe of a face-to-face relationship through technology. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, some, uh, just on, in public accounting, um, audit, like audit services, some of it still needs to be face-to-face or local because you've got to go out on site and visit the site. But with tax and other financial services, it can be um, totally remote and, and not a problem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I guess, uh, okay. How important do you think that it is for service businesses to have social media and build a brand online? Uh, I mean, of course, I'm a huge fan of it. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's important, but only if you're willing to take the time and learn the skills to do it right. I think there's a lot of people that just try to, you know, open up. They think that starting a Facebook page now all of a sudden the customers are going to be streaming in, uh, or or they do the whole selling thing, or they're really awkward on camera. Um, or they haven't taken the time to learn what influencer marketing is or, or, you know, proper strategy or how to run a Facebook ad or create a Facebook audience. And, and even once you've done all of those things and learned it, it's still, you've got to either post every day or not at all. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing one, anywhere from one to three posts on Instagram every single day, maybe not the weekends, but every single week, you know, week, weekday. I'm posting at least one to three times and doing another 10 to 15 story updates on the Instagram stories. And that's a time investment. And a lot of accountants at least uh, have a hard time because that's not billable time. And so they have a hard time trading that for future dollars. You know, your billable time is dollars today. Your marketing and business development is your dollars for tomorrow. And so You've got to be willing to make that investment and do it right. Otherwise, I would say don't do it. Your time's going to be better. I mean, we're we're starting to get a ton of business now from Instagram. But in the last two years, we've grown a lot, like 50% per year, by going and giving local tax presentations to real estate offices and other business owners. And so just giving speeches. And so there's a lot of value to be in business development opportunities locally, too, that isn't social media there's a huge opportunity if you learn how to do it right. Nice. Okay, sweet. That's exactly what I wanted to hear, which is like, yeah, it's not necessarily meant for everyone if they don't have the skills, you know, not even to do it. But yeah. overall, it is something good to do because that's where people are paying attention. Like they're on social and all these different things, especially your target audience where other entrepreneurs that are also trying to grow their businesses online and stuff. So perfect place right. for you to be is Instagram. Um, have you, uh, I didn't get a chance to look. Do you also do um, or like repost that content onto YouTube or do any YouTube content as well? So I have a YouTube channel. I've got about 300 videos there. So that's more like one to two times a week or, you know, we were so 
like a year ago, I, I wanted to build up a, U, a YouTube channel just as a resource, as a resource. And what I've find found YouTube's a slow, steady grind. I mean, we've been at it for over a year and have like 300 subscribers. Um, as my Instagram account's grown, it's trickled over to there. But what's been really valuable for YouTube is it saves me time in servicing my clients. Because if they have a question on making their vacations deductible, I just have a video that I did on that and I can go quickly search it on my YouTube channel and send them that link. And it takes me two minutes instead of a 15 minute phone call or, you know, back and forth on Instagram as I'm getting more and more, you know, followers answering me questions. It helps me just answer that quickly. And it's, it's a good database and resource Uh, for me. It hasn't been as, as good for actual getting clients. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I think I think Instagram and YouTube are like the number one and two things to like, you know, focus on right now as far as like organic reach and stuff still um, in the future is going to be, ha- you know, you're gonna have to do a little bit more paid advertising around it. Because um, yeah. I, I do I like me. So you're in the service business of doing, um, you know, CPA work and tax and everything like that. I do like more digital marketing, and like branding stuff. Uh-huh. So like, I've seen that organic reach is starting to go down. So you're gonna have to do more paid advertising in the future. Right. But there's still like amazing assets to do right now. And it's still like, if you don't have a brand online, it's almost like you don't exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? People yeah. always are searching for stuff. So I'm glad you're doing that. And then I guess we can get into I, um, that seven step uh, tax solution that you were talking about. Sure. Um, now, just so everyone knows, I'm not a, you know, <laughs> a CPA or tax advisor or anything like that, but Tyler is, but also don't treat his stuff as like, uh, you know, advice and like go out and take action right away, like consult him or someone else first, <laughs> redo anything. Right. But exactly. Well, and it changed, you know, varies state by state and for your specific situation and, you know, get, I'll give tax tips, but they might, you know, who you got to make sure that they're handled correctly. And there's a lot of gotchas, mm-hmm. you know, so make sure the gotchas are taken care of. Of course. So, um, so yeah, so I'll just kind of run through our, the, and, and again, speaking to business growth and related to ser- a service business, um, one thing that has allowed us to grow a lot over the last couple of years is this seven-step tax solution. And speaking to, you know, with, with a lot of times with, with services, they're kind of intangible things that you're selling. Mm-hmm. And so if you can have tangible, va- like tangible, measurable value to your services and also communicate that value in a, what kind of becomes a productized format Mm -hmm. that allows you to, as it has allowed us at least over the last couple of years, since we created this seven step tax solution has allowed us to make sure that we're introducing value to our, our clients and potential clients like right away Mm -hmm. and communicate that value. So um, just, for anyone out there with a service business selling intangibles, like maybe life insurance or mm-hmm. marketing services, you know, whatever those, those services are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so step one is to form a sub S corporation for your business. And the reason why is because of a thing called self-employment tax. Now, anyone out there who's listening, who has started their own business and made any sort of money the first year, if they didn't actually meet with a CPA and do some tax planning, probably got walloped with this extra 15% thing called self-employment tax. And it's basically, it's 15% on top of income tax on the first $132,000 of your income. And that's great because it means it's, so it's, what that is, is it's your portion of social security and Medicare, 
which means you're building up Social Security, uh, even though you're self-employed. But the challenge is, or the downside, is that on everything that you pay above about $45,000 in net income on that 15%, it, only, only, only 15% of that tax is going into your Social Security account. The other 85% is going into the general Washington fund. So you're, you break even on Social Security when you get it, when you turn 65, uh, if, when your wage is around $40,000. And so um, S-corporation profits are not subject to self-employment tax. So let's say you make $100,000 in your business. On top of your income tax, uh, which might be, call it $20,000, you're, you're going to pay an additional $15,000 in self-employment tax if you're a sole proprietorship or an LLC. If you file as an S corporation, you'd pay yourself an officer wage. Let's say you make pay yourself a $40,000 officer wage. You only pay 15% on $40,000 instead of 15% on $100,000. So $6,000 instead of $15,000. That's a $9,000 savings just by filling out a couple pieces of paperwork and, and filing one extra tax return. And uh, the other perk is that uh, as a sole proprietorship, you have almost a 2.5% chance of being audited. As an S-corporation, you have a 0.4% chance of being audited. So you can afford to be a little more aggressive because you've got a 1 in 250 shot of being audited instead of a 1 in 40 shot. Wow. Uh, now, I'm not saying go do illegal things, but you know, we're, you know, if the IRS drives by with a machine gun, you don't have to stand up. Mm-hmm. And, and so and, you know, from a record-keeping standpoint, you still have to keep a good set of books no matter what entity you're in. Uh, it's just your tax preparer would just file one extra tax return and then you save thousands a year. Now, the break even on that is if you make uh, at least about $50,000 of net income. And the reason why is because you're going to spend a couple thousand dollars a year in keeping that corporation open. So you want to make sure that the savings offset the, the extra fees. Mm-hmm. That's true of any tax planning. If it costs you more fees to implement it, you should get at least three to five times that in tax savings. Mm-hmm. Got so, it. Yeah. So that's step one. Any questions on that? So I have a uh, single member LLC right now, but what I'm, uh, and there's probably a lot of people listening that do have something like that, where it is yeah. either a single member or maybe even a partnership. But mm-hmm. um, one thing that I've been waiting for, kind of trying to figure out is at what revenue level, or I guess net income level. Um, should you transfer over to an S-Corp? Because the thing is, is you know, in a client service-based business, you could lose clients and then you could gain clients. So then your salary yeah. isn't always the same. Uh-huh. So what, uh, what I guess, revenue level or net, uh, net income level would you recommend a single-member LLC or kind of a smaller business to change over to an S-Corp? Yeah. So if you're already filed as an LLC, then you've got your state tax return that, of course, depending on where you go to have it filed, uh, is going to be you know five or six hundred dollars a year in in tax prep fees, uh, and then an S corporation. I'm just using our our numbers as an example. A start is more like sixteen to eighteen hundred. So you're going to have an extra thousand dollars of tax prep fees. So in, in the state of California, you have the minimum eight hundred dollar fee anyways. Uh, it's going to vary state by state, but I know you're in California, so we're using that as an example. So for you. You just have to make sure that the savings are better than $1,000, which since you already have the LLC formed. And so that would be you know, ten, maybe $20,000, $30,000. You know, so once you hit 
I'd say $25,000 is when that's going to make sense. Um, because you already have the LLC formed, that's one less expense you have to incur. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so if you, if you're going from scratch where you're 1099 sole proprietorship, it's closer to 50, 60. If you're already an LLC and just making an election to be taxed as an S corporation, more like 20 to 30, 2025. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. the only question I have for that. I'm trying to think what anybody else would have with that. Um, oh, so the, uh, I've heard also some people talk about C corps rather than S corps and a lot of people like they kind of fight on it of like, which one is better. Yeah. Um, I don't really understand the difference between S corp and C corp. I've tried to figure it out. Um, but yeah, could you explain? Break that down. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's take the hundred thousand dollar person $100,000 business just because it makes the math easy. Okay. So an S corporation is what's called a pass-through entity, which means you pay tax on the net income of the business on your personal tax return. There's no corporate income tax. Uh, and so so if you make $100,000, you pay income tax on $100,000 whether you pull the money out or not. So if you pull $40,000 out, you're still to live off of personally, you're still paying tax on $100,000. If you pull 100 out, you're paying tax on 100. With a C corporation, if your business makes $100,000, you have 21% federal tax and then different differing tax depending on your state, but let just just on federal. So let's say you pay so you make $100,000, you'd pay $21,000 in corporate tax, and then when you pull the money out personally to live off of, you pay personal income tax of whatever your tax bracket is, whether that's 20%, 25%, 30% plus your state. So so instead of paying 25% once, you're paying 21% plus 25%. So 46%, you get double taxation. So that's where you hear the phrase double taxation. That's, that's what that means. And so there was this big, after all this tax reform stuff that came out, there was this big talk of, oh, 21%, should I be a C corporation now? Because it's all 21%. Well, it's 21% at the corporate level, but then you still got personal income tax. So for most people, it still makes sense to be an S corporation. Okay. And then, so you said the the C corporation. Now what goes into the S corporation again, like comparing the C and the S? So the S corporation, you pay income tax. There's no corporate tax. Oh, okay. You You pay tax on your personal tax return. So you pay personal income tax on the net income of the business in the S corporation. Okay. With a C corporation, there is a corporate tax on the net income of the business, and then you pay personal tax when you pull the money out. Oh, so okay. Got twice. It. Got it. Interesting. So yeah, yeah. S corp does sound better. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, for people who are maybe above with the way that the new tax law works, maybe above five hundred thousand or so of net income, and plan on leaving a lot of their money in the business, then the C corporation can be a something that makes sense. But for a lot of just kind of solopreneurs, the S corporation is, is the right answer. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that's good for step one. And then what yeah. was step two? So step two is to rent your home out to your corporation for your monthly shareholder board meeting. Now this works if you own your home. Uh, so the IRS has a rule that says if you rent your principal residence out for under 15 days per year, then it's tax-free rental income. So how we have, so what's meant for is say you go on a trip out of town for a week and you want to get part of that trip paid for. So you put it up on Airbnb. Uh, well, the IRS says as long as it's under 15 days per year, you don't even have to claim that income. So how we use that to our client's advantage is 
they rent their home out to their corporation for a monthly shareholder board meeting. And so once a month, you hold a meeting with me, myself, and I. I'd say it works really well if you have a split personality. Uh, <laughs> but and then and then cut a check from your business account to your personal account. And so if your home is worth three hundred thousand dollars, you use three hundred you use three hundred dollars per meeting and just cut a check business account to personal account. It's deductible as rent expense and tax free to you. So if, if three hundred dollars is an example times fourteen meetings per year, that's forty two hundred dollars tax free. We've got some clients that are in the Bay Area or Southern California where a Cracker Jack box is two million dollars. You know they're using they're using this and getting twenty five thirty thousand dollars a year out of their business tax free. Wow, that's yeah. really cool. I like yeah. that. So and so the key on that is you've got to actually have a paper trail. So actually cutting the check and then documenting minutes each time you have a meeting of what you discussed at your at your meeting. And you're thinking about business. If you're a business owner, you're thinking about business at home all the time anyways. So you're just documenting it and getting some tax-free money for it. Got it. And then uh, I don't know if you can elaborate on, so to to rent your home out, is there any like special paperwork for that? Or like, you know what I mean? No, just cutting the check and then making sure you're documenting it in, in a monthly meeting minutes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Cool. That's a pretty legit one yeah. that I have never heard before from any, any yeah. CBA. So that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. So monthly shareholder meeting. And then, so you, you said 14 though. So 12, like, is there one? So, it's, two so of them? it's 14. The, well, the, I said 14 because the rule is as long as it's under 15 days per year, it's tax free. So to maximize it, we say you do a monthly meeting that gets you to 12 and then do a bonus mid year and a bonus year end, like oh, extra, okay. extra planning days. Got it. Okay. I was about to say, I was like, where did the 14 come from? <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah. So that's a really good rule or a really good, you know, like step two. Let me think if there's any questions that I would have for that one. That one's pretty straightforward. Um, it sounds yeah. like, um, now would that differ? Like, let's say someone doesn't have an S corporation yet. Would that, would that differ at all? Whether it was so you, you have to have a separate entity for this. So if you're, if you're a sole proprietor, 1099 doesn't work because there's no separate entity to rent it to. You can't rent it to yourself. So you either have to have an LLC or a corporation to take advantage of this. Okay. Got it. So you could have a single member LLC technically yeah, for that. It okay. just has to be an entity. Cool. And then in this best practice anyways, which we get to in step three, but having a separate business bank account, mm-hmm. even if you're a single member LLC, not just mixing all your business and personal. Mm, yeah, because that's commingling. <laughs> that's super right. bad. So yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess you can just go right into step three there and explain that one a little bit more for anyone that might yeah. not know. And so step three is to get your books on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of the biggest reason why, uh, well, two the two biggest reasons why is number one, your time. And number two, having a good set of books is actually a profit center for you. So time-wise... The, so Entrepreneur Magazine put an article out a couple of years ago that uh, said the average business owner spends 155 hours per year on their books and taxes. For most business owners, that's not the highest and best use of their time. They'd be better off spending 155 hours growing their business, dialing for leads, posting to social media, adding value to their clients, servicing their clients, mm-hmm. not plugging and chugging on their books and probably getting it wrong anyways. Mm -hmm. And so having a system where it happens without you, uh, whether that's through technology and you get your, your books linked with your bank account, uh, or have it hiring someone to do it for you. Uh, the other reason is, uh, and, and why having a good set of books is a profit center for you is when you think about being in, say you're in a 25% federal bracket. And then like we're both in California. So you got another 9% state tax. And then if you have self-employment tax on top of that, 
So 25 plus 9 plus 15 is 49 percent. So 49 cents of every dollar that you miss as a deduction because you're not going in and keeping a good set of books and reconciling your accounts Mm -hmm. is extra tax you're paying. So if you miss $1,000 of expenses because you're not keeping up on your books and you just get to the end of the year and send in expenses that all happen to have three zeros at the end, around thousands uh, to your tax preparer, you're losing money because – because because of that reason. And so having a system where your books are happening so that you, uh, number one, are taking all your deductions and number two, not spending way too much time on that, that's where you transition from being someone who just sells a product or a service to now being someone who's leading a business that's in the business of that product or service. Got it. Okay. And then, um, so would you also recommend like, uh, you know, so what I do is I use QuickBooks and then I have it connect to my bank account. Is that the best way to do it? Is there any other ways that you'd recommend that make it easy? So about 95% of our clients are on QuickBooks online and for the ones who do it themselves, link in their bank account and then just having a regular habit so that as part of your weekly planning, you go in and import your transactions, classify the ones that QuickBooks isn't smart enough to figure out and then go forward, but doing it regularly. Cause otherwise, you know, having a regularly updated financial is how you're going to actually make business decisions on those numbers and not just, you know, kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Got it. And then kind of a silly question, but just for the audience as well is, um, so when it comes to like just particularly using QuickBooks or some type of accounting software, where you can connect your bank account. It's all automatic. Um, mm-hmm. it's technically, you know, each transaction that's on there, is listed on like your bank statement and everything. So I've heard people say, which is wrong, but like uh, that they don't really collect their receipts that much. They just kind of rely on their bank statement and stuff. Yeah, that's that's not enough documentation. Yeah, yeah. Best practice. So, so the 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 bottom bottom rung is 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 relying on statement. The next up is what I call the shoebox of death method, which is. <laughs> You actually keep the receipts, but they go through the laundry three times in your pocket and then they're faded and then you stick them in a box and six months later pull them out and you don't know what they say on them. And then best, best practice is to use like either the feature in QuickBooks Online or like we personally use an app called Receipt Bank uh, where and you just take a picture of the receipt in the moment. It's fresh. Pictures of a receipt don't fade. And the IRS accepts that as documentation. And the reason why the statement's not enough, as a, just an easy example, is say you're going to the gas station to fill up. Well, you think, of course, if it says Chevron on the gas on the on the receipt, well, obviously that's fuel. Well, an aggressive auditor could say, well, how do I know you're not going in there into the Quickie Mart at the Chevron and buying a case of beer, mm-hmm. and and throw it out? because there's no documentation and it's so easy with our smartphone these days and auditors want more documentation because it's so easy to just take a picture and then it's done. Yeah. And, and so uh, if you use the feature in QuickBooks online, you actually have to type in the vendor and the amount. So then the super lazy man's way is receipt bank is, is you take the picture. It's got the last four digits on your credit card. It reads that and the vendor and the amount and auto exports it into your QuickBooks and categorizes it for you. So literally all you have to do is take a picture and that costs you about 15 bucks a month to do that. So, uh, 
So that's best practices. So I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. It's a good question. Yeah, definitely. So keep your receipts and make sure that they are uploaded there. You don't necessarily need to keep them after they're uploaded, but make sure they get in there. And then, you know, there's no excuses for that because QuickBooks is like, you know, for the good version, probably like 35 bucks a month and Receipt Bank <laughs> is 15. So it's like 50 bucks a month to make sure your books are in line, <laughs> you know, right. is, is definitely what you got to do. Um, exactly. And then... Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty good on on that rule. Um, and then when you say on autopilot, that mainly means like the whole thing of connecting it to your bank account and like it automatically uh, recognizing like what type of transaction it is and putting it in the right category. Well, just having some sort of system so that it actually happens, and mm-hmm. ideally a system that takes as little of your time as possible. Yeah. So, what if if you're someone who naturally is going to go in and click import and import those and categorize them on a regular basis, then Yes, do that. If you're someone who, so we work with a lot of real estate agents and by nature, they tend to be a super ADD when it comes to finances because uh-huh. they're not closing deals. And, you know, God bless them. Uh, but even the linking the accounts isn't, isn't going to happen and up keeping those up to date. And so if, if you know, you know, self-awareness is key. If you know that about yourself, then find someone to do it for you, whether that's you know, a CPA firm or a local bookkeeper or an accounting student in college to come in and plug in your numbers at least every couple of weeks or so. Got it. Okay. So yeah. we got rule number three down, which is yeah. pretty solid. And then uh, what was number four? So step four is to tax plan proactively. Uh, the, your best use of your CPA isn't this upcoming time of year, which is when most people meet with their CPA. Uh, so meeting when you meet with them in February and March, we're just filling out the forms. We're historians at that point. We can't really add value other than the fact that you're getting a CPA to put a set of eyes on it and bless the return. <laughs> Where we add the most value in our profit center for you is before year end in November and December when we can say, okay, cut XYZ checks before December 31st to save $10,000. Or, okay, get your kids in the payroll, pay them now. Uh, and drop a bunch of money into their account to get a deduction, or set up this new entity with you know and before year end, and you know. But all those things that happen need to happen before the ball drops at midnight and Ryan Seacrest says Happy New Year to the nation, uh, because once that happens, you can't you can't do anything anymore other than put some more money into a SEP IRA, and you know, that's just not where the true value of being a business owner is when it comes to your taxes. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. Got it. And then, uh, so question with that one sort of, which was, um, so I know, you know, being self-employed and everything like that, I pay taxes quarterly. Um, is this kind of a dumb question too? I just never looked into it. Is there technically a way where you can opt in to pay taxes only once a year, uh, rather than doing it quarterly, just kind of getting it all done at once or? Uh, you can opt in by not sending in your quarterly estimates. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you end up it ends up being about a third of a percent penalty per month for not okay. paying quarterly estimates. So it's a really low interest rate. Most, a lot of our clients don't pay quarterly estimates. So it, it kind of just depends on your own personal preference and also your spending habits. If you're someone who doesn't have the discipline to set aside that amount off your off your income. Uh, then it's probably better to pay estimates and then not get it to the end of the year and owe forty thousand dollars and have you know ten in the bank. Um, but if you know if you're doing planning and you can set it aside and 
and uh, use that money to grow your business instead of sitting in the IRS's bank account and grow it more than a third of a percent each month, then you might be better off considering just not sending in the estimates and accepting that it might cost you $500 in penalties. Got it. And then is there any difference, uh, going back to the S-Corp thing a little bit, um, is there any difference of having like a single member LLC or smaller thing like that versus an S-Corp with quarterly taxes versus annual taxes? Like, is there anything there at all? Uh, No, you're going to have a lower tax bill. What what tends to happen with an S-Corporation is because you have to pay yourself an officer salary is we take, so let's say you have a $3,000 a month officer salary. Instead of paying quarterly estimates, what we do is we take that wage and make it an almost zero net check. And you just send in monthly payroll tax deposits. And instead of quarterly estimates, you're just sending in a couple grand monthly. And then whatever else you need to live off of, you just pull out as a draw. And so instead of sending quarterly deposits, we just do monthly payroll. And then you have increased withholdings on that. Got it. Okay. So you just brought up something interesting too, I thought of. So there's the officer wage that you brought up, which is basically the salary and then a draw as well. So if like all you always want to have the salary be like as low as, you know, pay yourself as low as possible with the S corp. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, can you explain just for the people listening that are kind of newer into service businesses and stuff, um, the difference between the salary and then also doing like draws or dividends or whatever other words they use for it and like the benefits and all that stuff? Yeah. So with the salary, essentially you're paying the the salary you pay yourself from an S corporation is sort of the bone you're throwing to the IRS for not paying self-employment tax on all of your income as a sole prop. And so it needs to be a reasonable salary, but we want to figure out what's the lo- what's the lowest justifiable reasonable reasonable salary that we can come up with, and so that's going to be a conversation you have with your tax preparer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so you essentially get paid two to three ways uh, when you have an S corporation, depending on if you own a home or not. So if you don't own a home, you have a, a W two which you run monthly, and that's a very small net check. So let's say you pay yourself three thousand dollars a month, and twenty five hundred goes to income taxes. Um, so you get a $500 net check and then you need 4,000 a month to live off of, then you just cut yourself another $3,500 check as a draw. And so it literally can just, doesn't even have to be a check. It can just be, if you have your accounts linked online, just transfer the money. And then the other way you would pay yourself if you own your home would be a third check in the form of shareholder meeting rent. Okay. Got it. And then uh, so with the officer wage, you, you mentioned the, you know, how much tax you pay and everything like that on that. But when you do a draw, does that kind of just go into the same bucket of like it's self-employment, you pay the same tax on that or is draw treated differently? So uh, S corporation is a pass through entity, which means you pay the tax on the net income of the business, whether you pull it out or not. So the draw, okay. there's not, when you pull out the draw, it doesn't create more income tax because oh. you've already paid tax on that. Oh, I see. For paying on profits. So if you pull, if you make a hundred thousand dollars and pull 40,000 out in a draw, you're not paying tax on $40,000 because you already paid on the hundred. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. So it doesn't create any extra tax when you pull the money out. Cool. All right. So yeah, pretty much that's it I have for number four. And then what was number five? Yeah. Five is get your ki- hire your kids in the business. <laughs> and uh, so the IRS has a rule that says if you pay your under 18 children from a sole proprietorship, there's no payroll taxes on the wages. And under the new tax laws, you can a child can earn up to $12,000 and have zero federal tax. And so uh, depending on your state tax, you might have to file a return. Um, but using California as an example, you, you 
pay them $12,000, they'd have zero federal tax and they might have three or $400 of state tax, but you get a $12,000 deduction on both of those. So it ends up saving you around $4,000 per child. Wow. We had one, child, one, one client that did this, he had nine children. This is a very good deal for him. <laughs> now, the key is they actually have to do something for those wages and you actually have to pay them. And so that can be, you know, if they're your older children, you can have them sit in on sales calls and help you with that. File papers in the office, shred, you know, help, help around the office. For our clients with very young children, we have them hire their kids as models for their social media pages and website. So people love doing business with a family man or a family woman. And so, uh, and we actually have a client who has model children and we did a little market research and said, what do they get paid? And they get paid $500 per shoot. So you set your children up on a monthly retainer for a couple shoots a month. And then you open up a checking account in their name that you have signing authority on. And if you have an S corporation, there's one extra layer. Uh, it's got to go into your personal account. And then you get a tax ID number in your name for a sole proprietorship. Uh, and then into, into, the, into the kid's account. And then from there, they can pay for their own groceries or their own clothes or their own gifts or put money in college or whatever you want to do with that money from there. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, it's about three to $5,000 of, of tax savings per child. Interesting. That. Okay. See, that was another one. I, I, me I remember seeing that on your Instagram and I was like, I've never heard anybody say that again. So that's where yeah. Tyler's the man here. Um, okay. So number five, yeah, pretty simple. You actually, well, no, I wouldn't necessarily say simple because it sounds like there's a lot of steps, but that's why you go to people like Tyler. But well, um, it, it's a no brainer. It's free money. It's basically, mm -hmm. you know, and it's permanent. A lot of what tax planning is, is deferring savings. So it's kicking the can of next, you know, maybe it's prepay your cell phone bill to save money this year. Well, that makes it next year's problem. Then you do it again next year, next year, next year. Uh, but that's deferring taxes. And then there's permanent savings. And permanent savings strategies are always better because you never have to pay it back. Mm -hmm. So and so like the shareholder meeting rent, hiring your kids, S corporation, save self-employment tax. Those are all permanent savings strategies. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I definitely like permanent better than later. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. So yeah, step five, pretty, pretty straightforward, I guess, with the strategies that you talked about um, yeah. for anybody that's listening with kids. And then what about step six? So step six. So step five is for your under 18 children. Step six is for your adult dependents, your over 18, most commonly college age children. And, and step six is to make your kids' college expenses a business deduction. Um, this works if they're not in college too, but it's just a better deal if they're in college. So how we how we structure this is if you've got children in college or you're supporting your parents, um, you open up a corporation in their name that's a marketing company and you hire out that corporation uh, and just to use the college example. So if you're at a point where where doing so a strategy like this makes sense, you probably make too much money to take the education credit to yourself if you claim your child. So now what happens? is you run about $35,000 of profit through this marketing company and uh, it's claimed in their name and then they claim themselves. And so they get the $25, $100 education credits plus a $12,000 standard deduction and about basically about $35,000 totally tax-free. And so you are still an officer of this corporation, this corporation that's in their name. You have signing authority on the corporate bank account. You're just basically hiring that corporation out and, and running money through that corporate bank account, and it's a deduction to your main business. So that ends up saving after paying all the tax prep fees and tax planning and everything, 
puts an extra about 10 grand a year in your pocket. Wow. <laughs> that is pretty legit. Um, cool. So, and then it, I'm guessing it has the same thing where the marketing company under the, uh, the child that's over 18 has to do something for the business. So could you explain a little bit, like, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, they, they, yeah. do, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, uh, you know, that's where a lot of our college age, you know, older, older parent parents with college age children aren't really generally that social media savvy. Uh, I and see. So that's why the marketing company, you know, is a really good, op, you know, type of company to do another company that you can type of, you know, company type that you can use would be a labor company. And then you put your office, your officer salary from your S corporation in that company. So it's like, if you, if you leased out an employee, you just happen to be leasing out yourself. Mm -hmm. company. Uh, so really, and that's where, you know, that part of the tax planning proactively where you're meeting and doing a custom plan makes a lot of sense. Cause we want to make sure that we're, having it be bulletproof mm -hmm. so that it hold up. Uh, yeah. And then the other, the other part of that is if your age is 19 to 23 and you don't have at least half of your expenses covered uh, in earned income, then you're taxed at your parents rate. So what you would want to make sure that there's at least a six or $7,000 W2 in the kid's name. So those are all the little details. You know, I mentioned the gotchas mm -hmm. uh, and consider that you're actually working with a professional to make sure these things happen. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's an example of one of those. So got it. Okay. So yeah, again, another tip that I haven't heard before. This is great. Um, and then the last step, number seven. Yeah. So step seven is what we re affectionately refer to as our crack cocaine tax plan. <laughs> okay. And and the reason we call it our crack cocaine tax plan is because it creates a massive tax deferral. We have one client, the, our largest client, doing this as deferring around eight or nine million dollars in tax in taxable income. So $3 million check that they don't have to cut at tax time. Um, so it creates a massive deferral and that cash, that extra cash is addictive. Uh, it's very addictive. <laughs> and if you stop doing this program, then all of a sudden all that tax comes due. And so you have very painful withdrawal symptoms to the plan. Mm, and I so see. that's why we call it our crack cocaine tax plan. Plus it's just, fun to say I, I don't think it's, I, I was commenting in a meeting the other day in our firm that I don't think any CPA firm has uttered the phrase crack cocaine <laughs> as many times as we haven't measured results uh, just by nature of the plan maybe maybe uh Al Capone or Scarface's <laughs> yeah you know legitimate but so how it works and this one is better with kind of diagrams but I'll do my best to explain and having the the college plan as a pretext kind of helps so so kind of similar to the college plan where you open up a separate corporation um, that's either a labor company or a marketing company or both, um, only the company's in your name and it has a November 30th year end. And so, so how it works is you've got your main corporation. Let's say you've got your, um, I don't know. So let's say you've got a clothing company, you know, a retail, a retail clothing company. That's an S corporation that's a calendar year end. And then you open up a labor and marketing company that's a November 30th year end. And your clothing company hires it out for services. So you'd put all of your marketing expenses in that company and then all of your payroll too. So that might be, let's say you spend 20 grand a year on marketing and then you have your officer salary of $50,000. So that's $70,000 of expense running through the, this 1130 company. And it's invoicing out for services to your main company. 
Throughout the year, your main company is being a terrible customer until the month of December after November 30th is the year ends over. So you had $70,000 of losses that's flowing through to your personal tax return. And then now all of a sudden your main company becomes a great customer, pays down its $100,000 of outstanding payables. And then on a cash basis, you can prepay up to a year's worth of expenses in advance. So now you prepay an additional $100,000. So you get a $200,000 deferral. So it's a deduction to your main company that's not taxable to the labor and marketing company until next year. And so next year you do it again, do it again, do it again. And, and so if you, let's say you made good money, made $250,000, but you don't have, and you wanted to defer $200,000, but you don't have $50,000 or you don't have $200,000 sitting in the bank. Basically what you do is you just take however much cash you do have, transfer the money from your main company to your other company, pull it out as a draw, put it back in, and then you know, cycle the money through several times until you hit your deferral target during the month of December. Wow. <laughs> so that was awesome. Again, that's a, uh, you know, a, a, one of those plans. And it's that even our, t- our, when our new tax accountants join our team, they have to hear it about three or four times for it to really sink in. So mm-hmm. it's complicated, but again, a lot of, a lot of potential value there. And that's really for someone who makes above about $200,000 of net income because you have you know, a significant amount of tax preparation and tax planning that goes into that to make sure that it holds up. And so you know, that's for your people who have a pretty, pretty good-sized business running there. But, Man, so that, that, oh, that whole seven steps, especially that one, kind of proves that, that uh, catchphrase you, it's ever, or you said where it's like, pay as little taxes as legally possible because <laughs> like right. that's that's pretty i've uh, another thing i've never heard before like the, i thought the other ones were pretty good that's something that's like a whole like is that something that you and your dad like you know came up with or is this something that you kind of like kind of modeled after other people and it kind of all came together or how'd you come yeah, up with so that? so we tend to be more like creative there was so my dad with his years of experience is kind of the tax mad scientist. And so, so it was just, we're doing, working on tax terms and he kind of noticed the way that things are reported and said, what if I do this? And, and so kind of, and then over the years we've honed it and it's gone through audits and one. And then we realized after going through the audit process, how to um, use industry averages and kind of beefed up the, and made it super bulletproof. And so it's just, the evolutions of experimenting and then tweaking and, and constantly improving. But that was one that we came up with internally. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> like yeah. that again, like I'm, I'm in awe of hearing that right now. Cause like, you know, you always hear like, see, this is the funny thing. Like people who, you know, either don't have businesses or, you know, uh, aren't making a whole lot of money yet and stuff. They always think that people that, that have a lot of money for some reason pay zero taxes and it's completely like illegal or something like that. And it's just like, no, they're just doing things like this that are completely right. legal. It's just, yeah. they, they know how to like get around the system or whatever. And it's like, well, it's perfectly fine. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest perks of being a business owner, because you know, when you're an employee, you pretty much, you know, your tax planning strategies are put money into an HSA. If you have an HSA eligible health plan and max out your 401k. And that's about it. I mean, you can buy a rental, but you know, having a rental that takes losses just to get a deduction, well, you don't want to spend ten thousand to save three thousand. That's that's a bad idea. And so, 
but where, you know, with being a business owner, there's so much more flexibility and planning opportunities available. So I agree. Like that's the thing that I've kind of learned is like the people that are able to, you know, pay the least taxes and stuff like that always have these creative tax plans to get around things. And that allows them more money to go ahead and put back in the business so they can grow it more. And they just need a creative (laughs) firm, like measured results in Tyler over here, Um, (laughs) which, yeah, that's super cool. Um, Okay, so now that we got the seven-step tax plan around that, is there anything you wanted to add to that before we move on to another thing? No, I, I think I'm good. Yeah, that's pretty set in stone. It sounds like you guys, yeah. it's like the framework for everything you do, so we're good. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess the next thing we can kind of touch on, because that's like the meat of like the whole conversation around around this video, because that's that's your, what you're an expert at. The other thing I also wanted to touch on is just generally, uh, you know, service business related things. So um, I guess when, I mean... So with your dad starting the business from the beginning, I guess you had a little bit of insight from him, but you've ultimately, you know, grown it more and stuff. But um, what tips would you give to people? Yeah, in those intangible, uh, more service businesses as opposed to product businesses. I guess, I guess, which tips can you give to both sides that are more like exclusive for those type of businesses? You know what I mean? So of course, I I can't speak to products. Uh, as far as what you should do in a product business, other than saying product businesses are also service businesses and it's all about creating a great client or customer experience. Um, to me, where where we've you know made mistakes and then improved, but then also in in a lot of we we I speak to a ton of new potential clients every week, you know, several times a day. And we always say, you know, what don't you, you know, what would you like to see changed about your current CPA relationship? And the biggest thing that I hear the most often is that I can't get a hold of them or that I'm not, I'm not getting any, any value from like, you know, I'll have in the first 15 minutes, they'll say, oh, I've heard more from you than I have from my guy in the last five years. Mm -hmm. And so in part of that, like I mentioned at the beginning is creating tangible value that you communicate. And so figuring out what's valuable to your client and then fig- and then once you learn that, having a systemized process so that you are able to serve them and meet that need. Because the person who meets the most, the biggest, the most painful need is the one who's going to make the most money. Okay. And, and so one of the things that we've put a big focus on in the last few months is not just hearing the feedback from our prospective new clients, but also picking up the phone and talking with our clients and finding out what's going well about how we're serving them. And, and if we could, if they could change something about, about it, what would they change? And then in our weekly team meetings, we share those outcomes and are looking for patterns so that we can systematically change that within our organization. And so uh, being responsive and, and service focused and, and looking to wait for ways to add tangible value everywhere, I think is, is how, you grow a service business. Yeah, that's something that I feel like some people ignore where they don't realize, like they think business is very complex when it's just like you're solving a problem. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Like you have a problem that they want solved and you're the solution. Um, A lot of people talk about, you know, features and benefits and all this type of stuff too much. And I'm guessing a lot of CPAs do that too, where I can do this and I can do that. But then it's like, well, what's, what am I going to get? Like, that's why it's called measured results. Like what are the results or the outcome that you're going to get? Oh, like, is this going to save me money? Like, you know, just very practical stuff. Um, And also listening to them. So, you know, I've got my seven step tax solution where I go through and share a bunch of 
tips and in 15 minutes we're saving you 20 grand. But if this person, all they care about is they want to make sure their books are done so they can sleep at night, I might be pounding them, you know, for a half hour on all these tax savings and they don't care. Whereas if I ask the good, you know, ask questions in the beginning, find out what they need, then I can speak to that part of how we can add value rather than just vomiting my script on them. That's so true. That that's kind of what I'm saying is like, you know, with the with the whole problem solving thing. Like I get, yeah, so in a nutshell, the tip is go ahead and just listen to people more. Like that's yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying with the like features and benefits is yeah, they just keep tossing stuff right. at people. Yeah. And they say you, they don't care or whatever. So right. be a Maybe problem solver. 30% of the time, not, not the other way around. Exactly. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, even when people are trying to sell services just right away, like, cause it's, I mean, when most people come to you, I'm guessing that they're, they're pretty much there already. They just kind of need some, some details, um, mm -hmm. you know, after seeing your brand and everything like that, they, you know, they trust you. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, people that ha don't have that yet where they're still trying to sell to clients, I feel like they don't listen enough. And they, like for me at the beginning, I just said like, I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. It's great. And then people are like, okay, but then I switched like a long time ago to be more like, tell me about what you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I just yeah. listen and they talk for a super long time and right. then I get a picture of what they want. And then I, and then you tell them, you just tell your, their words back to you or back to them and they go, oh my gosh, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I just listen. <laughs> yeah. It's that, that's the thing. I mean, in social media, everybody's putting out content and stuff like that. So I think they're getting, you know, uh, a lot of people are, are, putting too much stuff out and just communicating when they should be listening more. Yeah. Um, so I agree with that. And then um, I guess just, you know, for people that want to start a service business and stuff, I wanted to get into the mindset thing a little bit. Um, when you have, I guess, troubles in your business or there's some type of problems that come up, because I'm sure, you know, you have clients that might get mad every once in a while over something or whatever. How do you deal, I guess, with any overwhelm or uh, pressure or, you know, just that type of stuff? Um... That's a good question. Um, I think as far as overwhelm goes, um, I think for me, the biggest thing I can do when I feel like, holy crap, this is getting out of hand is just write down all my to do's. And then once you have it all in front of you, it doesn't seem so bad. And then it's kind of like that, that phrase, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Oh yeah. You just make your list and then prioritize them and say, okay, this is what I can do today. I'm going after it, going after it, going after it. Mm. Um, and then as far as like dealing with angry clients, I think um, the biggest thing not to do that I've seen people do is try to def get defensive about it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that angry client isn't angry at you. They're just needing to vent. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes just listening and letting them unload on you for 10, 15 minutes, then by the end, they're apologizing to you for, you know, for yelling at you when, and, you know, just they need an outlet to just be listened and it gets back to listening. The service business is just listening to people and giving them what they want. Mm -hmm. um, but just, you know, not getting defensive and, and saying, you know, well, we did this and we did that and, and just listening to them. Mm -hmm. And then if you do that and then you still determine that they're wrong, and, you know, they're abusive to your team or whatever. Don't be afraid to let them go. Yeah. Fire you, exactly. They can fire you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They can fire you and you can fire them. Yeah, <laughs> so and we're, we are fully, fully supportive of fire. We, we, 
we we had a client that was paying us three thousand dollars a month, and we found out they did something that we didn't like, or and they didn't treat us right. And right away, they got a disengagement letter. Like mm-hmm. it, it just it's it and that that's how you get as you build out your company and get actual employees. That's how you get respect from your team is being able to fire you know having the the courage to fire those abusive clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was pretty good. Um, I think we touched on the majority of the things. Um, it sounds like, you know, when it comes to mindset relating things, it's just like, you know, just don't get too emotional about it. Just kind of take it one step at a time and just try and keep yourself calm and all that type of stuff. With tax things, we obviously gave, ton, you know, or Tyler gave tons of tips about that and exactly what to do. Um, definitely want to get a CPA to, you know, talk about all that type of stuff or contact Tyler directly. Uh, is it measuredresults.com or measuredresultscpa.com? Measured results CPAs plural.com.com. Okay. So you can reach out or to Tyler. Just go find me on Instagram at Tyler McBroom and shoot me a DM and that works too. Yeah, guys, definitely check out his Instagram because a lot of the stuff that he talked about and probably a couple more things that we're forgetting right now are probably in there with like, you know, posts because he's posting at least once a day. So you can get lots of tax tips from there. Um, I'm sure that maybe on YouTube, like you said, there's tons of resources there as well. Is it just Tyler McBroom on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah, okay. YouTube.com slash Tyler McBroom. Cool. Yeah. So you can go on there too and watch his 300 plus videos of like tax tips and just various things about him. Um, but Tyler, are there any other like tips or other random things that you wanted to talk about or give advice on, you know, at the end? Um, no, I, th- I think we, we did a good job covering a, a wide array. So hopefully, hopefully uh, people aren't just fried brain right now after all the tax tips. <laughs> yeah, they might have to watch it like four times. Just like you said, your new tax, pe- or the new accounts yeah. come in and they have to yeah. know the thing like four times. Yeah. yeah. So definitely watch this video a couple times, that segment about the seven step tax solution, because I'm going to watch it a couple more times when I'm editing just to really like write down everything and make sure I know it well. And then I can, you know, hopefully come to you or, you know, wherever and like be able to, you know, implement that. Um, but, you know, Tyler's an expert, so I'm probably going to go to Tyler now. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on, Tyler. Um, you know, I, I thank you for all the, you know, advice and stuff that you've given to me and everyone else um, watching. And then, uh, yeah, just follow Tyler on social media t- at Tyler McBroom, uh, M-C-B-R-O-O-M. Um, and then measureresultscpas.com. And then also leave a comment uh, if there's any questions you have for him. And then I can forward you to Tyler and, you know, all that type of stuff. And you guys can discuss it at that point and maybe even become a prospective client of Tyler as well. But um, other than that, I appreciate you coming on. And I think I will see everyone next time. All right. Thank you.